0: Amen. Praise the Lord, everyone. And Merry Christmas to all. I hope that you've had a, a good Christmas this morning and that you've been able to stay warm. They've been saying that this has been one of the, the coldest Christmases that we've had on record in quite some time. Uh, and I, I won't be before very long. I know I'm standing between you and turkey and chicken and other things, so I'll try and do my absolute best. I won't be like Pharaoh and I won't I won't let people God's people go. You know, I don't want to be like that. So if you have your Bible, start with me to Isaiah chapter 9, and we'll be reading verses 6 through 7. And uh, I do believe I have a word I want to share with you today. Praise God. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, verse 7. I do want to thank you for coming out and to, uh, to worshiping with us on this wonderful day as we celebrate the, uh, the the birth of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that uh, in this day, in this this holiday season, that someone can be impacted by the word of God, that someone can be saved and can be born again. And that is my objective in preaching this message today. If you have Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, say amen. Amen. Isaiah 9 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I want to read verse 6 one more time where it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty god the everlasting father the prince of peace today i want to preach to you a message simply entitled the government of his shoulders and that may not mean very much to you right now but i believe by the end of this message that the lord's going to really speak to you and and help us understand that which christ carried when he came in the incarnation and that which he also born at his death, his burial, and resurrection. I want to pray and ask for the Lord's blessing upon this message. I can do nothing, I'm just a man. But the Holy Spirit can do great things. I believe Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26, that with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And I don't know what you're facing this Christmas season. Perhaps you're facing a cold house. Perhaps you're facing bills, and perhaps you're facing other issues and disasters. But I want you to know that the shoulders of God are broad enough to carry it, and to carry you through this troublesome season that you may be in let us pray today Heavenly Father I just thank you and I bless you and I worship you and honor you this day oh God as we celebrate and commemorate the incarnation when when the word became flesh when immortality put on mortality when God became man and I pray in the name of Jesus that you'd bless this message that you'd use me to bless your people to show them oh God the truth of this season and the truth of the redemption that has been afforded to them at the cross Father we thank you and bless you have your way in this place we give you all the glory and the honor and in Jesus' name, let the church, the living God, say, amen. amen. You may be seated. So the verse, the piece of scripture that I've just read, it is, of course, a verse that is often read during the Christmas season. Oftentimes, though, whenever we read passages in the Old Testament that speak about Christ, we tend to extrapolate them out of their original context or what the original audience would have understood whenever they heard them, uh, particularly during the time of Isaiah. Isaiah that Judah was going through a very tumultuous time in its history. The people were being oppressed by foreign invaders, particularly the the northern part of Israel, uh, the ten tribes of Israel, were being oppressed by the Assyrians, while the southern tribe of Israel eventually was taken out by the Babylonians. And they were looking for someone that was to deliver them from their oppressors. And once uh, uh, after the Babylonian captivity, they were taken over by the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then, of course, the Roman Empire, which was during the time of Christ. Their government was failing to protect its citizens and incurring judgment because of their consistent and persistent idolatry one regime and one uh, administration after the next continued to reject God, to continue to reject God's laws and to follow after idols, Baal and Molech and Ashtaroth and all these other false deities that were there and because of their disobedience and their flat-out rejection of the true king of Israel they fell into oppression and they fell into slavery however the greater oppression was not the bondage of uh, some regime from some particular uh, human government such as the Babylonians or the Assyrians but there was a greater oppressor, a greater oppression that God wanted to deal with, and that was the issue of sin. Because no matter what uh, free, freedom or what uh, liberties the nation of Israel acquired during perhaps a prosperous regime, uh, such as Solomon or such as Hezekiah, regardless of them even being under a good king, they were still captors, they were still prisoners of sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the the world That the nation of Israel and the world at large was under not just the oppressive regime of a human being, some tyrant or some dictator, but they were under the oppression of sin, a, pris- a prison that you cannot necessarily see with your eyes, but yet is with you at all times. When you sleep and when you're awake, when you go to your job or where you eat, you are incarcerated, you are under the arrest, under the effects, under the influence of this horrible disease we call sin, this horrible master, slave driver called sin and god illustrates this oppression by referencing the yoke of burden or a load that is carried by the shoulder i want to back up a few verses in our main text in isaiah chapter 9 to give us a little bit more clarity and context to what God is saying here, look at verse number 4 in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9 verse 4 it says, for thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, shechem, uh, which is the Hebrew word there, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian, for every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled with, in blood. But this shall be with burning and a fuel of fire. God says he will remove this from the people's shoulders, his, his people's shoulders, and put the the right to govern or a child that was to be born. One of the, the symbolisms of, of oppression or slavery was that of a yoke. A yoke was a device that was used to harness the energy and the power, the strength of a beast of burden such as a donkey or an ox or a bull. And was used, of course, to plow a field or perhaps to tow a cart or some sort of load. The yoke is symbolic of oppression. And the thing is that the nation of Israel was under this symbolism, under this yoke. And, of course, what was the mechanism that carried the yoke was the shoulder. Which is why then God then mentions that there was going to come a liberator. There was going to come someone to emancipate the nation of Israel who would then carry this oppression upon his shoulder. Our main text in Isaiah chapter 9 verse number 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, what is the government? We use this term government here in the text. The Hebrew word there is misra, which means an empire, rule, or dominion, having sovereignty and having control or dominion over a particular area, an administration that was used to handle the affairs of its citizens and its patrons. The shoulder is a symbol of strength to be able to carry a load. God states that the foundation of the dominion of the coming emancipator, the coming liberator, would rest upon the shoulders of this one person a child that was to be born now the question we should ask ourselves is this what is the significance of the shoulder being the mechanism for that which the government was to be founded upon and what we see here that the shoulder is then described the person of the shoulders of this sh- was then described as being one wonderful as being a counselor as being a mighty god as being an everlasting father and as being the prince Of peace. I want to dissect these different elements to help us understand the administration of this child that was to be born, that was going to carry the oppression that we ourselves are burdened under—the oppressive regime of sin, the oppressive regime of wickedness, of depravity, of iniquity, of transgression, of evil. This this government was going to free us from that greatest of, of enslavements that. Of sin first, in order for us to understand this government of the shoulder, let's look at the first word that is used to describe it, which is the word wonderful. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. I'm going somewhere with this. Genesis chapter 9 verse 20. This is the story of Noah. Noah has uh, disembarked from the ark with his three sons, their wives and his wife as well. He has now established himself uh, on the earth. He has grown himself a vineyard. The Bible says he's become a husbandman, a husbandman as we see here in Genesis 9:20. And Noah began to be a husbandman and he planted a vineyard and he drank of the wine and was drunken and he the Bible says was uncovered within his tent. So he had himself a good old time. He got some some good wine. And the Bible said that apparently he had uh, lost his scruples and he had left himself uncovered in his tent. He was lying naked in his tent. Now what the name Noah means, the name Noah means rest or it can also mean comforter. Now what's very interesting here is that Noah was at rest. And he was in a comfortable position lying completely vulnerable, naked and really in a state of humiliation inside of his tent. And this really describes the the condition of the human race. Noah's completely comfortable resting in his tent naked. And just like Noah, we had been deluded into becoming comfortable in our own sin. Completely blinded and deluded, deceived to our own depravity, our own spiritual nakedness, our own spiritual wretchedness. And we were comfortable lying in our own tents, our own houses, doing our own business, doing whatever we want to do, comfortable in our own sin. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3 verse 17 Jesus speaking to one of the churches in the New Testament, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich in white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve that thou mayest see. So Noah now, he's in a state of complete well humiliation, lying naked in his tent. His, he has two sons who discover him in this very disgusting position and they decide that they want to miti- mitigate the situation. The scripture says that his two sons Shem and Japheth, they carried a garment to cover Noah's nakedness and the Bible says that they did it on their shoulders. Look at this in Genesis 9, verse 22. Genesis chapter 9, verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces, the Bible says, were backward and they saw not... Their father's nakedness. Now, I wanted, the Bible is trying to show us something very interesting here. That it said that they got the, this garment and they covered their father and they covered it with their shoulders and they went... Backwards, and they did not see their father's nakedness. If the garment was on their back, they would have tripped over it because they were moving backwards to to avoid seeing their naked father. This means they would have had to have it in front of them if they were to cover uh, Noah's nakedness. So they took this garment, they put it to their shoulders, and they walked backwards. So when they looked down... All they could see was this covering that covered Noah's nakedness. Now what's very interesting here is that Shem's name means a name of renown and Japheth means wide or spreading open. Noah's son Shem and Japheth covered his nakedness just in the same sense that Jesus covers our nakedness. We were in a naked, destitute situation, but instead of looking upon our wickedness, the Bible says that that Shem and Japheth took a garment and put it to their shoulders and that covered their father's nakedness. The administration of God's goodness and mercy, it covers our nakedness. It was a name that covered this nakedness, a name that covered someone who was comfortable in their wickedness and in their sin. It was at the shoulder that covered our depravity. The Bible says in Psalm 3 verse 12, as far as the east is to the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions. From us. Proverbs ten verse twelve says, Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. Hebrews eight twelve says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. It is a wonderful thing. That the shoulders of Shem and Japheth were used to carry a garment to cover the nakedness of their father. And it is a wonderful thing when the name of Jesus is applied to us. Even though we were comfortable in our destitution, in our sin. Even though we were wretches undone. The name of Jesus was applied at the shoulder to carry our wretchedness and our shame. And to cover us from our sins. Number two. The shoulder represents also the carrying of the names or being a representative before God which explains the next title that we see in Isaiah 9 6 that he was first called wonderful and then secondly he is called counselor a counselor another name for a counselor is an attorney Is a representative, an advocate, an intercessor, a mediator, a go-between, someone to represent one before a judge or a a judicious party. We see in Exodus chapter 28 verse 9, the Bible describing the Levitical priesthood said, "...and thou shalt take two onyx stones." Engrave on them the names of the children of Israel, six of their names on one stone, and on the other six names of the rest on the other stone, according to their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, shall they engrave the two stones with the names of the children of Israel. Thou shalt make them to be set in ouches of gold, and thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for the stones a memorial under the children of Israel and Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial the shoulders were also a symbolism of representation of ambassadorship before a higher authority or in other words being a counselor so first of all we see that the shoulder represent the covering of sin that it was something that was so wonderful it was greater than the wickedness that was beneath it and secondly it also was a representative of carrying the names of the children of Israel before God. It was a representative, an ambassador, it was a mediator, it was a goal between. Thirdly, the shoulder also represents the mighty God the shoulder represents protection we see in Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 12 and of Benjamin he said the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him and the Lord shall cover him all the day long and he shall dwell between his shoulders uh, that the shoulders was also a symbol symbol of being protected uh, or being uh, guarded by a, uh, a danger or something that was there the shoulder also represents deliverance we see in Judges chapter 16 verse 3 that Samson had gone into to a town, and the Philistines were after him and trying to capture him. The Bible says in Judges chapter sixteen, verse three, And Samson lay till midnight and arose at midnight, and took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and went away with them, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulders. And carried them up to the top of a hill that is before Hebron. That he carried the gates away, that he carried his own deliverance upon his shoulders. So the shoulder also represents the power and it also represents the presence of God. We see in First Chronicles chapter 15 verse 15. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon, as Moses commanded according to the word of God. So we see here that the shoulder, it represents one, something that is wonderful that covers our sin. Secondly, it represents uh, uh, the power of God in the sense of his might and being able to protect us and to guard us. It also represents uh, being a representative, being a counselor, being an advocate, or being an intercessor. And it also represents the everlasting father or the, pr- the provision of God. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 21 verse 14. I'm going somewhere this. Go to Genesis chapter 21 verse number 14. This is the story of Abraham. The story of Abraham and Hagar. And Abraham rose up. Genesis 21 verse 14. And Abraham rose up early in the morning. And took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder. And the child and sent her away, and she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now look at Genesis 24, verse 15. And it came to pass, before it done speaking, that, Behold, Rebekah came out, and who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. That you would use your shoulders if you're going to carry food over a long distance you would carry it on your shoulders. So it was a sign of provision in the same sense that a father would provide food or provide resources for a family. Now with all that as a background, I want to go back to Isaiah chapter 9, 6 to truly uh, dissect what is going on about the government being of his shoulder and it's described in his name. Isaiah 9, 6 says this For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of peace. Now the fact of the matter is that, as I stated before, the nation of Israel and the world at large Was incarcerated and under the oppressive regime of sin and of Satan, who was a dictator who lauded over us his power to control us in our sins. And the only one that was able to free us, we needed a government that was able to overthrow this tyrannical rule of Satan and sin. But in order to be a governmental ruler, you had to have these five elements. One, you had to be wonderful, meaning that you had to inspire awe to elicit confidence from those under your rule like Noah, Shem, and Japheth. Uh, his name was wide enough to inspire all inside of us uh, to follow after him. That the name of Jesus uh, literally means that he shall save his people. Uh, that with inside of that name, which is above every name, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Uh, that he had a name that had respect, that had clout, uh, that, that, de- that it demanded adoration uh, and demanded acclamation. Uh, that first you needed someone that is respectful, that is in a governmental office. Uh, but his name was wonderful. Secondly, that that he is the counselor, the wisdom to govern rightly and effectively, that he was a representation of us before God and also before man. That he is the high priest that represents me in righteousness to forgive my sin. First John chapter 2 verse 1 says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That he also is the mighty God, because it's not enough. That you can inspire someone to follow you. It's not enough that even that you have wisdom. But you have to have the military power to govern and to enforce rule of law. And the fact of the matter is this child that was to be born is called the mighty God. That he has the ability to enforce his dominion. That we don't serve a God that's that's lacking in power. That he is called El Shaddai. That he's the almighty God. That he has the ability to rescue us and to save us from our sin. And he is called the everlasting father. What good is the government if it doesn't have the resources to provide for its citizens? I want to tell you that the administration of Christ uh, has the best health care system there is. Uh, it has the best economy, economical stimulus package uh, for your sins. Uh, because when we were in debt into our sins, uh, Christ created a, a stimulus package uh, to pay the debt that we owed uh, against, uh, to, owe to God in our sins. Uh, when we needed healing in our body, he created a healing package, uh, a health care plan that does not require any copay. There's no deductible because he paid it all. That we have a God that has, an affair, that has an administration that is able to represent us in the court of law to get us off of the charges that were leveled against us. And that also that he is the everlasting father, that he provides for his constituents. He provides for those that are in need. And finally, that he is the prince of peace. And that the Bible says in Isaiah 53 verse 4, that surely he hath borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes that we are healed. The government of his shoulder had the ability to carry all, of the, all the different aspects of a governmental administration. And the government that he carried was called the cross. Yes. That on the cross, the name that was wonderful... The name that was our counselor and intercessor before God and man. The name that was mighty. The name that was everlasting. And the name that brought us peace in our souls. He bore all upon his shoulders and he carried us all the way to the cross. The Bible says in Matthew 27 verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall. And gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head. And a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him. And mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him. And put his own raiment on him. And they led him away to crucify him. That Christ on his shoulders carried everything. The government that was upon his shoulder was our shame and our sins. And this government is called the cross. And he bore it for us, but it gave him the right not only to carry that, but to carry something else. And that was to carry us. Luke 15, 1 says, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them And he spake this parable unto him, unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after the which is lost, until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders. The government of Christ's shoulders was broad enough and, and strong enough to carry me, to carry me out of my sin. To carry me out of my oppression. I'm going to throw in a freebie. This is not in my message. But um, as you know, this is the Christmas season. And in this Christmas season, there is something that is very iconic when it comes to when you think of Christmas. When you think of Christmas, when you think of like, you know, symbols and things, what's the first thing that pops in your head? Christmas tree. Christmas tree. That's the first thing. When you think of Christmas you just see the Christmas tree. Why? We associate, because that's where the presents are, right? So all the gifts, it's where all the goodies are. That's where all our memories kind of start off. It's at the, the Christmas tree. And something that I discovered very interesting about the Christmas tree, because I was told for a while that the Christmas tree was pagan. That it was something that was uh, cultic, and it was something that had a, a bad origin. had pagan influences, and it kind of crept in, in, into Christmas. And I started doing some research on this and as I was researching it, first I found that it wasn't pagan, that it was in, it was actually started by Martin Luther uh, in the 1600s and that he was walking uh, through a forest one night, he was coming home from, from uh, being in seminary and he uh, was looking through the forest and he saw the, the, these big pine trees and he saw stars and the stars were on the tree, it was kind of filtering through the trees and they looked like lights. Thought, well, that was so awesome that he went and cut down a tree and put it in his house and put candles on it and started the Christmas tree. Found that's actually not true. So that, that's a myth. It actually started a few hundred years before that. And what's very interesting is this, is that the Christmas tree started from what were called um, pl- mystery plays in the early, like, 1200s and also the 1400s. The church used to put on plays of different portions of scripture. They would sometimes do it in a church, but sometimes they'd do it on the stairs of the church. Uh, and what would happen on December the 24th, Christmas Eve, they, all the churches would put on, in Germany, they'd put on a specific play. a mystery, They'd call it a mystery play or a lit- liturgical play. And what they'd do is they would have a play about Adam and Eve. On the Christmas Eve, they would celebrate what's called the Feast of Adam and Eve. And in this this feast, they would have a play showing the story of Genesis, where they'd show Adam and Eve um, falling, basically into sin, showing our fall. The main prop in the play was a fir tree, was a pine tree. And on that tree, they put apples on it. And that tree represented the tree of the nods of good and evil. And then they also put on the tree... Wafers or pieces of bread that they'd use for communion and they would decorate the tree with the apples and with the bread because and they do this on Christmas Eve and the reason why they did this was to recognize our fallen sinful state the day before we recognize the day that the Savior would come to redeem hence the bread that was on the tree as well as the apples. The apples represented the forbidden fruit that we were were not supposed to take and represented our fall while the bread represented the body of Christ that was to hang on the tree. That was what was going to come to redeem us from our sins. When you look at a Christmas tree, we think of it as just a place to put gifts and to decorate it with tinsel. But the Bible says in Galatians 3.13, That Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. For curse is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the tree is what Christ carried as the government of his shoulders. And that every time that you look at that tree, we shouldn't be thinking about tinsel and gold and thinking about Santa Claus, which is just another diversion and delusion of what the true meaning of Christmas is. But what we should be remembering is first, our fallen state, and secondly, the redemption that was to come. What are we hanging from our trees often? As I said, it's just gold and tinsel. what What the real Christmas tree was not a fir tree. The real Christmas tree was a cross, and that is what was carried. That's what he carried to uh, he carried at Calvary upon that hill. And so I'm closing with this. Let's stand. Might make you look at a Christmas tree a little bit differently. The government of Christ's shoulders this Christmas season. We we remember what Christ came to do He came to die. I, I preached about this in my last message. It was first John three, where it says that he, he that committeth sin is of the devil, because the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. He was incarnated, he was born, he was manifested so that we could be saved from our sins and saved from our depravity. And he carried it all upon his shoulders. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful. The government is upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now here's the interesting thing, is that this government that Christ carried, he also he invites us to take part in, that, in carrying that government. Matthew 16 verse, four, verse 24 says, "Then said Jesus unto his disciples, "If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me." Matthew 11:28 says this, "Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy-laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." If you want to become a citizen of this government, there is some things you do have to carry. There is a yoke of Christ. But don't, don't get scared because this yoke is easy and his burden is light. And it's one that is, is an honor and it's a privilege that we get to carry the cross of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand in this season that Christ has come to carry. To carry he carried your sins, he carried your, your sickness, and he carried your sadness. But we also have a burden to carry, and that is the cross, and that's to carry the gospel to this lost and dying world. And I offer you this opportunity to come if you want to leave your sins at the true Christmas tree, which is behind me. The Christmas tree is a place where we leave gifts, but the true Christmas tree is where we leave our sins. Today, when we celebrate the Christmas tree and we, ca- we, we, we commemorate Christmas, we go there to get something to bring back with us. In this case, we go to the Christmas tree to leave something there so, that we, so we don't have to carry it anymore. <laughs> and I offer you this opportunity to become a part of the government of his shoulders. And allowing him to first carry your sins upon his shoulders. These altars are open. I want you to remember that this Christmas season, that Christ has came. He's wonderful. He's a counselor. He's a mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. And He is the Prince of Peace. And He is here to rescue us from our sins. God bless you.